Well, friends, it's an honor to stand before you to proclaim the Word of God. When you hear the words peace and quiet, what do you think about? The mountains? The beach? Do you think of a library? Do you think of a bookstore? Do you think of a coffee shop? What do you think about when you hear peace and quiet? I love peace and quiet. I have loved and enjoyed peace and quiet for 36 years of my life. I am 38. Well, a year and a half ago, we welcomed this little energy ball into our lives called Boaz, and peace and quiet is gone. Yet we still love it. What about the church? What does it mean for the church to lead a peaceful and quiet life? Does it mean that we always agree on everything? Does it mean that we always see everything eye to eye? Does it mean that we all think exactly alike? Friends, let me introduce you this morning to two men. Two men who have very little in common. Two men who naturally should have no interest in each other, in each other's lives, or in each other's well-being. The first man, a religious fanatic, extremely skeptical of the government. He would die for freedom and for his country. This man believes in traditional values and knows that a wicked and ungodly culture is creeping into his beloved nation. The culture will eventually destroy all the structures that were designed to hold together the fabric of society. The other man believes in big governments. Loyalty and freedom are not very high values or virtues for him. He likes money, especially other people's money. He knows that certain things are wrong with the culture, but as long as he's doing well, he doesn't mind it. This man is not religious at all. As a matter of fact, he is the kind of person that religious people stay away from. He's too sinful for us to associate with him. Friends, meet Simon the Zealot. And Matthew, the tax collector. Men with radically different worldviews, priorities, and goals in life. Yet men who preferred one another. Men who radically abandoned their own ways to bond together in one mission. Men whose partnership in the gospel transcended their differences. What did these men have in common? What brought these men together? The answer is clear, isn't it? Jesus did. They loved Jesus more than they loved themselves. They loved the mission Jesus had called them to accomplish rather than their own personal goals. So they were not going to primarily study about the lives of Matthew and Simon. 
But these two men stand as an example to us of the main thing that we're going to consider today. And, and here's what I want you to keep in mind today as we come to this text in 1 Timothy. Though Christians don't always think the same, Christians always share the same goal. Sharing the gospel with the lost world. So turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 2. And if you, if you have the outline, the text is in front of you. And we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Paul in this, in this letter is inst instructing Timothy on how to lead a church to interact well with the governing authorities. There are false teachers that are creeping into the church and the church is becoming divided. But Timothy wants, to, wants this church to be at peace so that it can proclaim the gospel faithfully. So let's read 1 Timothy 1 through 4. 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this text today, is, this text is going to be our main text today, and we're going, to, we're going to outline this text with three questions, okay? So if you want to know where I'm going, here are my three questions. We're going to ask, for whom should we pray? And then we're going to ask, for what should we pray? And then we're going to ask, why should we pray? Okay, so that's our outline. So let's first consider for whom should we pray? What does the text say? First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Okay? And for kings and all who are in high positions. Right off the bat, Paul immediately tells Timothy, I urge that prayers be made. This is not a chronological statement. He's not saying the first thing that you should do is pray. He's saying prayer is of utmost importance. Prayer is always a priority for Christians. Prayers matter. And it's urgent that churches pray. Now notice, Paul is not urging Timothy directly to pray here, though, though at elsewhere he does. But, but Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, as a leader in the church, you must teach the church to pray. Prayer can often be an uncomfortable subject, can't it? Because we don't pray enough, do we? I think we all would recognize that in different ways and to different degrees, our prayer life is lacking. 
But we see here that prayer is not a suggestion. Prayer for the church is a necessity. Paul uses four different words here. Supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving. And thanksgivings. And, and, and each word is important. They, they highlight prayer in a different way. But I think in essence, what Paul is saying here is that we should pray. We should pray in different ways. We should pray in every way possible. We should always pray. This past Friday, Alex Hopper and I went to Home Depot to get a few things for the men's outing. And um, I don't really enjoy going to Home Depot. Now, Guitar Center, no problem. I know what's going on. I know where to look for things. I know where to find things. Restaurant Depot, I could spend a weekend in that place. But Home Depot is not that kind of place for me. You see, I, I just have such a hard time finding things at Home Depot. And Home Depot is that kind of place that you feel like whenever you have to ask about something, you kind of have to like hand in your man card, you know. Uh, where do I find the screwdrivers? Oh, here's my man card. You can keep it. I don't feel very masculine right now. So you just try to fend for yourself, right, at Home Depot. Um, so it's, it's just not a... It's just not a fun place to go for me. I, I can't find things. Every man knows how to find things at Home Depot. Isn't that true? <laughs> some of you say yes, some of you say no. You see, it's somewhat, for me, it's somewhat of a hostile environment. But I fear that we often view God the same way. Oh, my, my requests are just going to annoy God. I'm supposed to know that. Why am I going to come to God with it? How long have I been a Christian for? God is too busy taking care of bigger things. But the truth, friends, is that God is never too busy to hear our prayers. His ears are always Alert and open. Friends, our attitude towards prayer often reflects our view of God. If we don't pray, it's because we're viewing God in the wrong way. If you are in Christ, God loves you. And I don't have to qualify that statement. If you are in Christ, God loves you. Do you know that? If you are in Christ, God finds delight in you. If you are in Christ, God is not too busy for you. He is the one who tells us to pray. Why do we believe that he won't listen? Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God gave, gave us Christ, what will then God will withhold from us? If God gave us Christ, which is the most valuable person he has, what will he deny 
us? And according to Paul here in Romans 8, the answer is clear, right? The answer is nothing. Brothers and sisters, let us not have a skewed view of God. God's love towards those who are His is not capricious. It is not temperamental. It does not waver. It is steadfast. So our first prayer should be, Lord, let us see your love for us in Christ. So that we may confidently come to you in prayer. Do you see that? Understanding our position in Christ will change our understanding and even our practice of prayer. And who should be the subject of our prayers? Paul says, all people, all men, all humanity. It is a daunting task, isn't it? We have to pray for the whole world. But how? Lord, bless the world. Is that how we should pray? Well, we're going to talk more about this in our third point today. But in essence, we're called to pray that the whole world would come to Christ. When we pray for the world, we pray that the whole world would come to Christ. But not only should we pray for all people, we should also pray for kings and all who are in high positions. In other words, we should pray for people and people who influence people. We're all under authority, every person in this world. So we pray for all people and for those whose role is to guide the lives of his people. This includes President Trump. This includes Speaker Pelosi. This includes Governor DeSantis and Mayor Holmes. This includes all who are in authority over us. But it's important that we understand this. To pray for those in authority over us doesn't necessarily mean we agree with them or we support them or their base. We pray for them because we know that they are instruments in the hands of God. We should pray for them because their lives affect our lives. And we should pray for them because their lives and their decisions affect the church. We should pray for those in authority over us because we know, we know this, that no authority has been set on earth that has not been first established in heaven. God has authority over those who have authority. We see this through the, throughout the Bible. God says to Pharaoh, before this purpose I raised you up. You see, God's has a God has a purpose for Pharaoh. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. He says this to Cyrus. Cyrus is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purposes. About in the book of Nazareth. He says this, 
The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Jesus to Pontius Pilate said, you would have no authority over me at all unless he had been given you from above. You see, we see clearly that throughout the Bible, all kings, all rulers are under the authority of God's. So friends, this is an awful responsibility. It is difficult to be in a place of authority. Because those who are in places of authority represent God and will respond to God. So we should pray for our leaders. But how? How should we pray for our leaders? Well, let me give you five ways that you can pray for our leaders. This, this is not exhaustive, by the way. There could be many other ways. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they would know Christ. Whether you think they know Christ or not, pray that they would come to Christ. Pray that they would be wise. Pray that they would be fair and just. Pray that they would be merciful and compassionate. And finally, pray that the church would flourish under their government. Maybe it would be a good thing for you to take this list and place it on your refrigerator. Maybe it would be good for you to assign a day a week to pray for each one of these petitions. This is what the Lord is calling us to do. He is calling us to pray faithfully. So friends, let us do that. Let us pray for those who are in authority over us. But what should we pray for? This is our second question here. In the second half of verse 2 tells us, we should pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So this is the contents of the prayer, right? We should pray to God for all people and for authorities. And, but, but what should be the outcome of this prayer? That, that we should lead lives that are godly. We should, what should we ask when we pray for the authorities over us? The answer is we should pray that those in authority over us should not hinder us from living godly lives. Now, it's not their job to cause us to live, to, to live godly lives, right? We are responsible to live out our Christian lives. But it is their job, job of those in authority over us, not to burden us in a way that would hinder us from living in such a way. We don't fight for the government to live out faith for us. 
We fight for the government to get out of the way so that we can live out our faith. It is good for them that they do that because the church, the church is like a freight train moving full speed ahead. And, and government is like a small car slowly moving through the tracks. So we pray, we plead with them, do not oppose the Lord. Do not burden God's people. It will not go well for you. So it's loving to pray that government will enable us to lead a quiet and peaceful life. I've heard of Christians in the past saying, pray for persecution. Now this is not what the Bible teaches though, right? Is it? This passage teaches us the opposite of that. We should be ready for persecution. We should pray, Lord, if persecution does come, give us strength to withstand it. But we shouldn't pray that it comes. We should pray that it does not come. We should, we should pray against persecution. We should pray for peaceful and quiet lives. As far as it up to us, as it's up to us, we should live in peace with everyone. Proverbs 22 puts it this way: the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple goes on and suffers for it. Friends, we should seek to live at peace. But why should we seek to live in such a way? Well, it's because godly living adorns the message of the gospel. Godly living adorns the message of the gospel. It embellishes. It, it makes it more, more beautiful, more palatable, more acceptable. In the same letter, Paul actually picks up this theme and develops it more. He says to pastors, moreover... He should be well thought by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. He speaks to young widows and says, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. You see that? Bond servants, let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that, here's the purpose, the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You see that? Godly living strengthens the message of the gospel. Strengthens the proclamation of the gospel. The way we live our lives matters. Do our neighbors see Christ's likeness in our conduct? Do our co-workers see Christ-like work ethics in our jobs? Husbands, do you treat your wives in a way that displays Christ-likeness? Wives, do your neighbor see Christ in the way you speak to and of your husbands? 
Recently, a group of men from our church went to help one of uh, Gabriel Gavriloni's neighbor to move. This man is not a Christian, but through the years, Gabriel has built a, a sweet relationship with him. The day of moving, about 20 of us showed up to help. And, and once we were done moving the heavier things, we prayed with him. And, and before we prayed, this man looked at us and he said these words, Gabriel is an angel. What a testimony. What a testimony for the sake of the gospel. Imagine how much more prone this man is today to hear the gospel. Imagine the doors that have been opened for the proclamation of the gospel so that this man may have hope in Christ. And why is that? Because one man led a quiet and peaceful life. So we've seen that, that, that we should pray for those in authority over us. That we should pray that they would enable us or not hinder us from living lives that are godly. But now finally, why should we pray? Why should we pray? So what is the result of this prayer? And we see here in verses 3 and 4, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is the result of this prayer? Remember Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector? Remember that although they were radically different from each other, they were united in their mission? Right. This is my point. This is what I want you to see. We pray that ruling authorities will not disrupt our lives so that we can live on a mission. Like Simon and like Matthew, united in Christ, united for Christ, united to make Christ known. Friends, this is our mission. Sheridan Hills Baptist Church, your mission because of your union with Christ, is to make Christ known. Friends, let, let me say this to you. Your mission is not to get everyone in this building to think just like you. It is not. Some of us are going to think differently. We're going to agree on many things. But our worldviews are not going to be identical. Your mission is to partner up with those that are here, united with you because of Christ. And through this union and partnership, make Christ known. We don't pray for peace because we want to coast through life. 
We pray for peace because we want to fulfill God's calling in our lives. Paul says this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. But what is the this referring to? It's an important question. And I think the, this is actually the end of a long parenthesis that began in verse 1. This is referring back to, I urge that prayers be made for all people. Parenthesis, let's talk a little bit about authorities. And now, this is good that we pray for all people. He says, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God who desires, look at those words again, all people to be saved. You see? Do you see the connection here? Do you see the parenthesis? Pray for all people. That is good because God desires all people to be saved. We pray for all people because God desires all people to be saved. God has a desire. And when we pray for all people to be saved, we are lining up our desires with the desire of God. That's when we know we're going the right way, right? When we know God wants this and we want the same thing, right? So every morning I wake up and I make coffee. And uh, I imagine some of you do the same. But my coffee preparation takes about 20 minutes. I just really enjoy coffee in the morning and I enjoy making it. And it's a time for my brain to kind of start working, right? Because it doesn't work very well in the morning. Every morning when I make coffee, there is a pair of eyes watching everything I do. He is 19 months old, and you wouldn't believe how much he knows about coffee already. He knows why I have a rag to clean the wand after I use it. He knows which button turns on the coffee machine. He knows every noise that is made by all of the equipment that I have. He can imitate Every noise. He even, once I make my coffee, asks for some. And I give it to him. And I can see in his face that he's not liking it. But he wants more. You know why? Because he wants to desire that which his dad desires. He sees his dad. He admires his dad. And, and even though... Coffee without sugar is bitter. He wants to learn to enjoy that. By the way, if you put sugar in your coffee, you're drinking sugar, not coffee. Okay? Can we just establish that as a fact? Coffee goes without sugar. Okay? This little boy looks at his dad and wants to want what his dad wants. He wants to desire what his dad desires. Even when it's bitter. Even when it's an acquired taste. Friends, the more we watch God, the more we think about God, the more we consider the, work, the Word of God, the more we come under the preaching of the Word of God, the more we sing God's praises, the more we're going to, we sang this earlier, right? Behold our God. And the more we behold our God, the more we're going to desire to be like our God. 
And the more we desire to be like our God, the more we're going to be united in our purpose, in our mission to make God known. Psalm 37, 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is how it works. As we deepen our love for God, God changes the things we love. We learn to love what God loves. So if we love God, we pray for the lost. If we love God, we reach the lost. If we love God, we rescue the lost. In verse 3, you see that God is our Savior. This title is usually used for Jesus. Jesus is our Savior, right? But in verse 3, it says, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. In verse 4, we see that God desires all men to be saved. Have you considered this word? Salvation? To be saved? Friends, perhaps you're new with us. And salvation sounds a little foreign to you. Perhaps even a little religious. Well, let me flesh it out. We all have in our hearts and our actions rebelled against God. God has called us to live for Him in an undivided way. All our thoughts, all our aspirations, all our goals, all our desires should be for Him and Him alone. Yet we recognize that apart from Christ, we live for ourselves. We act in ways that are contrary to God. We are, by nature, antagonists in God's great story. And God, in His justice, promises to judge all who embrace this lifestyle. This lifestyle, this choice, is called sin. We're all guilty of it. Yet, we recognize that though God is just, He's also merciful. Our text says that He desires all men to be saved. But this raises an important question. How does God retain His justice and show us mercy at the same time? Well, as a good judge, God has to give us the guilty verdict. But as a good Savior, God offers His own Son in our place to be guilty. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and He did it all in our place. Paid our debt of sin and death so that... Those of us who are trusting in Christ may not be guilty anymore. Friends, if you are trusting in His sacrifice, you are free. Guiltless. Because Jesus' righteousness is accounted to you. 
But Jesus didn't just stay in the grave. He was raised and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And we too who rest in Christ, though we die, will be raised for eternity and will never die again. Friend, do you know this message? Friend, have you come to Christ with your sins and said, Lord, take them. Take them from me. Have you come to Christ? Have you found the Savior of your soul? Or will you one day stand before God and try to argue your case based on your own works? May it never be. Come to Christ today. At the end of the service, we're going to have a family here in this corner and a family over here in that corner. And if you want to know more about how to come to Christ for salvation, they will be happy to talk to you. I'll be glad to talk to you as well. And it's very likely that if you came with someone, that person can talk to you about that as well. Or the members of our church that are around you, we are all eager to tell you about Christ because Christ desires for you to be saved. The salvation now comes through knowledge. Do you see that in the text? A knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I mentioned earlier in the Gospel of John that Jesus himself meets a person in high authority, Pontius Pilate. The crowd was asking for Jesus to be crucified because he had claimed to be the king of the Jews. So Pilate asked Jesus, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus answered, silence. Because Pilate is looking for a word of truth when truth is actually standing in front of him. Truth is Jesus. Truth is not a statement. Truth is a person. He's absolutely true. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. You hear that? The, right? There's no other truth besides him. The life. No one comes to the Father but through Christ. So friends, to come to the knowledge of the truth is to come to Christ. In Him we find God. In Him we find purpose. In Him we find peace. In Him we find forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life. Go, go ahead, put your papers away. I still have a few things to say. Today we're called to pray for those who are in authority over us. 
but we won't have to do that forever. One day, Jesus will return and he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge with perfect justice. Those who are his will, will enjoy eternal peace. And we will reign with him. Revelation 20 verse 4 says this. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had, been, who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. One day we'll, we'll need to pray for those in authority over us. Because along with Christ, we will reign. We will rule the earth. But today, we pray. So we want to take some time to actually pray now. So I want to invite John Mahler, Christy Chipman, and Tommy Chipman. And you guys can go ahead and come to the stage right now. And, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for our country. We're going to pray for the days ahead. We're going to obey what the Bible tells us to do. So, John. Let us pray. Father God, in these uncertain and difficult days, we come before your throne to ask for your assistance. We ask for help to quiet the noise that tries to distract us from keeping our eyes focused on you and you alone. We pray for the future of our nation as it seems to rage against itself, against authority, and against you. We ask for your protection from being led into self-destruction. We pray that you would continue to be gracious to us by forgiving our past and present sins and mistakes and not allow them to be our undoing. We ask that you would elevate people who are followers of Christ to positions of responsibility in our communities, our states, and our country. We pray that our elected officials would direct this country with wisdom that comes from you. We pray for the salvation and transformation of our leaders through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would use our elected officials for your glory and that they would see the foolishness of the world's wisdom. We thank you for the role of our courts in enforcing justice in our country. We know it is an imperfect institution modeled after your perfect justice. We pray for our federal judges and Supreme Court that carry the burden of monumental decisions for our nation. We ask that you protect them from harm and guide them to truth, truth that is only found in the reading of your word. We pray that our leaders would enable us to live peaceful and quiet lives for the sake of our gospel witness. Lord, we ask that we would not have to make a choice between obeying our elected leaders and obeying you. Help us to have discernment that comes from you, to know when to speak and when to be quiet. Let us not be tempted to say things in haste or spread rumors that only serve to tear others down. May we be a people that is united in your truth, your holy word. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for the church, to save us from sin and destruction. You have saved us for a purpose, and that is to be a light in a dark world. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. Help us to trust you and submit to you because you are worthy, good, and faithful. May your church not compromise with a world hell-bent on following their own way, a world that refuses to acknowledge you as king. Father, we live in a time and place that calls good evil and evil good. Your church all over the globe is being persecuted for standing for truth and worshiping you alone. Satan seeks to destroy all that you have created and call good. He is attacking the church, the family, and our very identity in Christ. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We thank you that Jesus is with and among the church. He is strengthening us and providing for us as we seek to teach the truth, uphold sound doctrine, reject false teaching, and fight the sin in our own hearts. Father, you have warned us in your word not to leave our first love, but to follow you wholeheartedly and passionately. Renew and invigorate our hearts, Lord. Let your church not grow cold and hardened by unbelief, but cause us to overflow with joy and peace onto a lost world. You have promised your church unimaginable blessings in Christ for those who persevere. Let us keep our eyes on Christ and not look to the left or to the right. Let your church continue to love one another and lead sinners to Christ. I am reminded of Elijah, how he fled in despair and collapsed from fear and exhaustion. It seemed there was no one left who believed in the one and only God, but you set him back on his feet and reminded him that you knew exactly who your, your people were, where they were, and what they were called to do. Encourage our hearts in this same way. Amen. Heavenly Father, lastly, we want to pray for Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. Our brothers and sisters in Christ that you have called here, Lord, where together we worship you and proclaim your great name, share the gospel of Christ, and live life together in community, love, and fellowship. Lord, I ask that we as Christ, as a church, will hold on to the gospel and we'll find our unity in our Savior, Jesus Christ. May his great victory over sin and death deepen our relationship with him and humble our hearts as a people, as your people, Lord. May you build and strengthen our love for you and also one another through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, giving us a desire to care for each other to serve one another and to rely on each other through the good times, but most importantly, through the difficult times, Lord. For the world will know that we are your disciples by the way we love one another. May our identity be rooted in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us to find refuge in you and not in our own abilities and strength for you created all things and hold all things together. There is nothing that is out of your control. There is nothing that you cannot do. You alone are trustworthy and good. 
you alone have the words of eternal life. And Lord, we rejoice in this. And because of this, we run to you. Lord Jesus, as we see the unrest in our country and feel the effects of the pandemic, may we look to you, our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. May we live in faith and not in fear. Help us to see people the way you see people. Help us to love people the way you love people. Help us to love each other more than our political positions are, are being right. Give us your patience and your reasonableness. Give us clean hearts, Lord. Give us clean hands. Most importantly, Lord, may we glorify you in our words and our actions, which reflect Christ in our life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand as we respond to this in song?